Thank you for downloading this audio edition of a complete chapter from the volume entitled On Common Ground, International Perspectives on the Community Land Trust. I'm John Emmius Davis, one of the book's editors, along with my colleagues Lena Algood and Maria Hernandez-Torales. On Common Ground was published in June 2020 by Terra Nostra Press, a division of the Center for CLT Innovation. We hope that you enjoy the following program. Chapter 1. In Land We Trust. Key Features and Common Variations of Community Land Trust in the USA. Written and read by John Emmius Davis. The Community Land Trust, a guide to a new model for land tenure in America, was published in 1972. It was written by Robert Swan, Shimon Gottschalk, Eric Hunch, and Edward Webster of the International Independence Institute, a nonprofit organization founded five years earlier by Ralph Borsodi. The successor to that organization, the Institute for Community Economics, published the Community Land Trust Handbook in 1982, adding organizational and operational refinements to the model that Swan and his colleagues had introduced a decade before. These two books provided the conceptual framework for what eventually became known in the United States as the classic CLT. Years later, this framework was given solidity and durability when a federal definition of the Community Land Trust was inserted into the Housing and Community Development Act of 1992 by then-Congressman Bernie Sanders. By the start of the new millennium, therefore, a standard definition of the CLT had gained wide currency among community activists and public officials. There could be found in most community land trusts in the United States the same features of organization, ownership, and operation that characterized the classic CLT. But that was not true in every case. As practitioners adapted the model to fit the preferences, politics, and needs of their own communities, they modified some features of the classic CLT while retaining others. This has created a CLT landscape of enormous diversity. Part 1. Organization. How is a community land trust structured? There are three organizational features that characterize the classic CLT. It is structured as a nonprofit, charitable corporation. It has a place-based membership and it has a tripartite board. We'll consider them in turn, along with the most common variations of each. Nonprofit Charitable Corporation. Organizationally, a community land trust is a private, not for profit corporation that is chartered under the laws of the state in which it is located. Legally, a CLT is not a trust, but an entity that is called, in many other countries, an NGO, that is, a non-governmental organization. 
most ELTs in the United States target their activities and resources toward charitable activities like providing housing for low-income people, combating neighborhood deterioration, or what federal law describes as, quote, lessening the burdens of government, unquote. Most CLTs qualify accordingly for charitable designation from the U.S. government that exempts them from paying federal income taxes and that gives private citizens a tax deduction when donating money or property to a CLT. Variations. Although most CLTs are autonomous organizations created from scratch, some have been established as a corporate subsidiary or internal program of an older nonprofit organization. In a few cases, a local government or a municipal corporation like a redevelopment authority or a public housing authority has developed resale-restricted, owner-occupied housing on leased land, administering a program that resembles a CLT. When a new CLT is established within the corporate shell of a pre-existing organization, the CLT usually becomes a permanent part of that organization's ongoing operations. This arrangement can be temporary, however, with the CLT eventually spun off as a separate entity when it has gained the capacity, constituency, and funding to thrive by itself. Another variation has occurred among a handful of CLTs that have chosen not to seek a tax exemption from the federal government in order to serve households earning more than the median income or to pursue other activities that do not qualify as charitable. Place-based membership. The classic CLT operates within the physical geographic boundaries of a targeted locale. It is guided by and accountable to the people who call that locality their home. Any adult who resides on the CLT's land and any adult who resides within its geographically defined community is eligible to become a voting member of the CLT. The duties and powers granted to this corporate membership are spelled out in the organization's bylaws. Members typically nominate and elect a majority of the governing board. Members also approve proposed amendments to the bylaws, including any changes to the resale formula setting the future price of CLT homes. Variations. Most CLTs are membership organizations drawing their members from a community that is geographically defined. Within the diverse world of CLTs, however, there is considerable variation in the size of that community. Two decades ago, the area served by most CLTs was a single inner-city neighborhood or a small rural town. That has changed. Many CLTs formed in more recent years have staked out a wider service area, encompassing multiple neighborhoods, an entire city, an entire county, or in a few cases, a multi-county region. 
There were also many variations in the composition of a CLT's membership. Some CLT's have opened their membership to individuals who reside outside of the CLT's target area. Other CLT's have expanded their membership beyond individuals to allow nonprofit corporations, local governments, or private institutions like hospitals, churches, or businesses to become voting members of the CLT. There are also some CLTs without a membership, and a few where the entire board is appointed by a municipal government, by a community foundation, or by some other corporate sponsor. Tripartite Governance The board of directors of the classic CLT is composed of three parts, each containing an equal number of seats. One-third of the board represents the interest of people who lease land from the CLT, the so-called leaseholder representatives. One-third of the board represents the interest of residents from the surrounding community who neither lease land from the CLT nor live in CLT housing, the general representatives. One-third is made up of public officials, local funders, nonprofit providers of housing or social services, and other individuals who are deemed to speak for the public interest, the so-called public representatives. Control of the CLT's board is diffused and balanced to ensure that all interests are heard but that no interest is predominant. Variations Although the governing board of nearly every CLT is distinguished by a diversity of interest and by a balance of interest, the exact makeup of this board can vary greatly from one CLT to another. Many startup CLTs, moreover, have interim boards that are quite different in their composition from the broadly representative, member-elected, tripartite board that will ultimately govern the CLT. Every CLT has a board or advisory committee with leaseholder representatives, but some CLTs subdivide this leaseholder category among directors who represent the interest of leaseholders occupying single-family homes and those occupying co-op units or commercial buildings. CLTs that are managing rental housing may also reserve leaseholder seats for tenants. All CLTs have public representatives, but some CLTs fill those seats exclusively with representatives from local or state government, while others include within this so-called public category representatives of local churches, foundations, banks, social service agencies, tenant rights organizations, or community development corporations. Part 2. Ownership. Who holds the real estate? There are three features that characterize the classic CLT when it comes to owning and using real property. Dual ownership, leased land, and diverse development. Again, we'll examine each 
along with their common variations. Dual ownership. In the classic CLT, a nonprofit corporation acquires multiple parcels of land throughout its targeted geographic area with the intention of retaining ownership of these parcels forever. Any buildings already located on these lands or later constructed on these lands are eventually sold off to other parties. A building's owner may be an individual family, a limited equity housing cooperative, a limited liability company, a co-housing community, a small business, or any other entity or combination of entities. Variations. Although dual ownership is a characteristic of nearly every organization that calls itself a community land trust, buildings that are renter-occupied are sometimes treated differently than buildings that are owner-occupied. Some CLTs, when dealing with multi-unit rentals, for example, whether residential or commercial, retain ownership of the buildings as well as the land. The reverse sometimes happens in the case of multi-unit condominiums when a CLT does not own the underlying land. The CLT possesses instead a covenant attached to individual condominiums, granting the CLT a durable right to repurchase these condominiums for an affordable, formula-determined price when an owner later decides to sell. This has occurred most frequently in cities where a CLT has been assigned responsibility for monitoring and enforcing affordability controls over inclusionary housing units extracted from for-profit developers by a municipality. Leased land. Although CLTs plan never to resell their land, they provide for the exclusive occupancy and use of land by the owners of any buildings located thereon. Parcels of land are conveyed to homeowners or to owners of other types of residential or commercial structures through ground leases that typically run for 99 years. This two-party contract gives the lessee an exclusive right to occupy the CLT's land, while giving the lessor, that is the CLT, a durable right to control how the land is used and how any buildings on its land are priced, financed, repaired, and resold. Variations. The ground lease employed by most CLTs in the United States for the conveyance of land is based on a model CLT ground lease that has been refined by CLT practitioners over the past 50 years. The exact terms and conditions in this two-party contract can vary greatly from one CLT to another, however, especially with regard to restrictions on subletting, improving, and reselling the buildings. Another variation has been pioneered in Puerto Rico, where the Caño Martin Peña CLT uses a surface rights deed rather than a ground lease 
to give homeowners security of tenure on land that continues to be owned by the CLT. Diverse Development The CLT is a tool of enormous flexibility, accommodating a variety of land uses, property tenures, and building types. CLTs across the United States have made land available for the construction or for the acquisition, rehabilitation, and resale of housing of many kinds, including single-family homes, duplexes, condominiums, cooperatives, multi-unit rental housing, homeless shelters, and mobile home parks. CLTs have helped to create non-residential facilities for neighborhood businesses, recreation, education, job training, and the arts. CLTs have also made their lands available for uses where there are few, if any, buildings providing sites for community gardens, urban farms, and neighborhood parks, or in more rural areas, providing extensive acreage for farming, forestry, and conservation. Community-owned land is the common ingredient underlying all of these buildings and uses. Variations. Some CLTs focus on a single type and tenure of housing, like detached owner-occupied houses. Some focus on a single use of their land, like urban agriculture or rural farming. Other CLTs assemble a diverse portfolio of lands and buildings, taking full advantage of the model's flexibility. The same CLT, therefore, may be the land holder and long-term steward for a mix of owner-occupied housing and renter-occupied housing, or for a wide range of residential and commercial buildings. Part 3. Operation. What does a CLT do? There are three operational features that characterize the classic CLT. Mission-driven growth, perpetual affordability, and perpetual responsibility. Let's start with mission-driven growth. By virtue of their charitable status and social mission, CLTs dedicate most of their resources to serving people who are economically precarious, an operational priority that is sometimes characterized as a preferential option for the poor. Spurred by the needs of people and places they serve, CLTs pursue a strategy of active acquisition aimed at steadily expanding the number of acres, homes, and buildings brought into the CLT's protected domain of non-market ownership and permanent affordability. Variations. The scale and pace of acquisition can vary widely from one CLT to another. So can the households a CLT will serve and the roles it will play in expanding its portfolio. Some CLTs grow slowly, each year purchasing only a few parcels of land on which are constructed 
or rehabilitated a handful of single-family houses. Other CLTs grow rapidly, benefiting from private donations or public largesse that allow them to acquire larger parcels of land and to develop many units of housing. Some CLTs target their activities to the very poor, while others serve households above median income. Finally, some CLTs do development that is initiated and supervised by their own staff. Others leave development to nonprofit, for profit, or governmental partners, confining their own efforts to assembling land, leasing land, and preserving the affordability of any housing entrusted to the CLT's stewardship. Between these two extremes of the CLT as developer and the CLT as steward, there are various roles that different CLTs have embraced in expanding their holdings. Perpetual affordability. The classic CLT retains a preemptive option to repurchase any residential or commercial structures located upon its land whenever the owners of these buildings decide to sell. The resale price is determined by a formula contained in the ground lease. This limited equity formula is designed to give present homeowners a fair return on their investment while giving future home buyers fair access to housing at an affordable price. By design and by intent, the CLT is committed to preserving the affordability of housing and other structures forever. One owner after another, one generation after another. Variations. While permanent affordability is a commitment of nearly every CLT, the formula that defines and enforces affordability can vary greatly from one CLT to another. That is due in part to the different methods that CLTs adopt in calculating the resale price for any housing located upon their land. Different formulas may also result from different goals that particular CLTs are trying to achieve or from different populations they are trying to serve. Furthermore, while the vast majority of CLTs adopt a single resale formula covering all types and tenures of housing within their portfolio and covering every neighborhood in which they work, a few CLTs have fine-tuned their resale formulas to allow some variation among different components of their housing stock. Distinguishing, for example, among detached single-family houses, condominiums, and cooperatives. A few other CLTs have tailored their resale formula to account for varying conditions between hot and cold submarkets within their service area. Perpetual Responsibility The CLT does not disappear once a building is sold to a homeowner, a cooperative, or some other entity. As the owner of lands beneath any number of buildings, 
and is the owner of an option to repurchase these buildings for a formula-determined price. The CLT has a continuing interest in what happens to the structures and to the people who occupy them. The ground lease requires responsible use of the premises. Should a building become a hazard, the ground lease gives the CLT the right to step in and to force repairs. Similarly, should a homeowner get behind in making mortgage payments, the ground lease gives the CLT the right to step in and to cure the default, forestalling foreclosure. The CLT remains a party to the deal, safeguarding the structural integrity of buildings and the residential security of the people who occupy them. Variations Some CLTs provide a full menu of pre-purchase and post-purchase services. They go to great lengths to prepare people for the responsibilities of homeownership and to support their homeowners in good times and bad. Other CLTs do little more than monitor and enforce the occupancy, eligibility, and affordability controls embedded in the ground lease, intervening only to prevent the loss of a building faced with foreclosure. The intensity of a CLT's post-purchase involvement in the lives of its leaseholders depends mostly on a CLT's capacity. It is also affected, however, by the CLT's own preferences as each CLT tries to find an acceptable, sustainable balance between supporting the success of newly minted homeowners while leaving them alone to enjoy the privacy and independence that homeownership is supposed to provide. Part 4. Causes of Continuing Variation A standard definition of the classic community land trust was crafted during a formative 20-year period between 1972 and 1992. This conception of what it meant to be a CLT and to behave like one became the foundation on which early CLT practitioners in the United States built their organizations, projects, messaging, and brand. The CLT did not stand still, however. Practitioners were soon hard at work tailoring the model's features to meet local circumstances. Some of these variations occurred within the framework of the model's basic structure and did little to alter the classic CLT. Others went much further, changing the CLT's classic structure into something quite different. Even when that occurred, however, most organizations calling themselves a CLT still retained the model's core commitments to land stewardship, perpetual affordability, perpetual responsibility, and organizational accountability to residents of the places they serve. There have been many causes behind the continuing process of experimentation and variation among CLTs in the United States. The most influential of these factors 
causing the most significant modifications in standard features of the classic model had been the following. 1. Density of the organizational landscape. In localities where a number of nonprofit housing development organizations already exist, it has occasionally been prudent and practical to establish a CLT under the sponsorship or inside the corporate shell of another nonprofit instead of starting a new corporation from scratch. At other times, in other places, independently incorporated CLTs have sought a special niche within a densely populated organizational landscape by focusing on functions or roles that are not only different than those of existing nonprofits, but also different than those which a classic CLT has traditionally embraced. Two, density of residential development. In communities where buildable land is expensive, the development of new housing is more economical when it takes the form of multi-unit condominiums, cooperatives, rentals, or manufactured housing. Multi-unit housing works well with a CLT, but often requires modifications in the CLT's ground lease. It may also engender modifications in the structure of a CLT's membership and governing board. That is not to suggest that the classic CLT is to be found only in communities where detached single-family houses on separate parcels of land are the primary form of housing production. It is to say that the experience of developing multi-unit housing has often been a spur to innovation, causing several variations in the classic model. Three, requirements of funders. Changes in the model are sometimes provoked by the demands of public agencies and private lenders on which a CLT must depend for the funding and financing that make its projects possible. Innovation may also occur when a municipality looks to a CLT to serve as the long-term steward for affordability controls mandated by the municipality, either for publicly subsidized housing on a CLT's land or for inclusionary housing units that are scattered throughout a larger residential project. Four, marketing an unfamiliar model. The CLT is sometimes modified to make an unfamiliar model of homeownership look and feel more like the deal that is typically offered to more affluent households when buying a home on the open market. By tinkering with the bundle of rights and responsibilities that are provided to a CLT leaseholder homeowner, especially those affecting the use, improvement, and resale of a CLT home, practitioners attempt to develop and to market a form of housing that is different enough from traditional homeownership to protect the long-term interest of the community, but close enough to traditional homeownership 
to attract investment and support from prospective home buyers. Five, development versus organizing. It is difficult for any community-based housing organization to wear two hats. As a developer, a CLT is accountable to a constellation of funders, contractors, deadlines, and demands that drive the business of getting affordable housing constructed and occupied. As an organizer, the CLT is accountable to a constellation of interested parties who lease its land, reside within its community, make up its membership, and serve on its board. While the classic CLT strives to serve both sets of interests, this balancing act is not to the liking of everyone. For CLTs that favor development over organizing, especially where a CLT program has been grafted onto the structures and programs of an existing community development corporation, or where a CLT has been initiated by a municipal government, there has sometimes been a tendency to modify, dilute, or even abandon membership features or board features that make a CLT directly accountable to a local constituency of lower-income residents. Conversely, for CLTs that favor organizing over development, there has sometimes been a tendency to spend more time on building and sustaining the organization than on building and managing an expanding stock of affordable housing. The most successful CLTs have found a sustainable balance between these extremes of the CLT as developer and the CLT as organizer. Because of factors such as these, the CLT landscape in the United States has become increasingly diverse over the years. The model has continued to evolve. These variations have helped the model to spread into new areas and to be applied in new ways. Much of the growth in the CLT movement can in fact be attributed to the model's adaptability and plasticity. Something is lost whenever fundamental features of the classic CLT are altered, however, since there are sound philosophical and practical reasons for every one of them. On the other hand, something of value is sometimes gained. Over time, some of these variations will be discarded, while others will prove so beneficial and so effective that they eventually become a permanent part of what the classic CLT is thought to be. This has been an audio presentation of a published chapter from the book entitled On Common Ground. To order the entire volume of 26 essays, authored by scholars and practitioners from a dozen different countries, or to learn more about the International Community Land Trust movement, 
please visit the website of the Center for CLT Innovation. We can be found at www.cltweb.org. Thank you for listening.